a deeper narrative about the history of contemporary music. That would simply not be possible without an understanding of the pivotal role that the first supergroup Cream, formed by Jack Bruce, Ginger Baker, and Eric Clapton in 1966, had on music and culture. The music that Cream innovated set the stage for the musical, ideological, and social revolutions of the late 1960s. There is no way to overestimate that influence. Fast forward 58 years, and Bruce's son Malcolm has released a star-studded tribute to Cream's historic legacy, Heavenly Cream, an acoustic tribute to Cream. The website is MalcolmBruceMusic.com, and Malcolm Bruce joins me from his home in London, your your blurry home in London back there. <laughs> hey, Phil. Yes, it's the uh, advances of modern technology. It's blurring <laughs> up the background. Uh, welcome to uh, welcome to Playtime, brother. It's such a such a pleasure to have you, man. It's an honor. Oh, the honor is all mine. What sort of time is it where you are? Okay, we're like six hours, five, six hours behind. Yeah, so uh, it's it's one o'clock here. I know it's seven o'clock there in the UK. We had, when we were doing the radio show, we had Trevor Horn on, uh, who's just getting up there in years, but still rocking, man. And and we literally woke him up. <laughs> and and he was but he was wonderfully gracious and and hit the ground running with with the interview and so oh, well, he's a he's a legend actually um he came and played bass at uh tribute i did for my dad in 2016 no kidding but yeah yeah he um lovely guy actually amazing talent yeah yeah, yeah. uh yeah so he, he's, he's, he's terrific and 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 again, he he woke up from a nap and didn't miss a beat, man. He he was right a, a, a true professional. <laughs> so for, let me let me get this in first. We we spoke about this just a moment ago uh, before before my introduction. Uh, you become a fine musician in your own right, brother. Heavenly Cream is not an album by a son looking to cash in, so to speak. Uh, I especially liked life and in love with you off your 2017 salvation album i'm in love with you i'm in love with you think of a number double think of desires valid move into madness multiply love never satisfied Much hot riding seats of doubt. 
I'd love, uh, I'd love a, a quick story or two about how that album came together for you. Yeah, uh, well, it was kind of just where I was at at that moment in time. Um, yeah. The relationship had ended, so I, I think I was kind of pouring myself into that record in that way. Or you did, man. It, it's a great album. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, um, I'm proud of some of the songs on it, for sure. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You've got a new album coming out uh, soon, Fake Humans and Real Dolls. Uh, is yes. going to be like like salvation or what's what's that evolution like as an artist for Malcolm Bruce? Yeah, I think it's going to be a more consistent record. It's okay. maybe a heavier sound, uh -huh. um, but it's still kind of my style of writing. Okay, whatever that is, you know, just constantly evolving. So I'm I'm excited about it. Yeah, but I'm right in the middle of it, so it's it's kind of quite hard to talk about it when you're actually in the middle of creating it. I got um, it. I got it. And and I, I'd love you. Uh, by the way, I'll post uh, a link to the Bandcamp for a uh, link for uh, for Salvation uh, and encourage folks to uh, to listen to that fine record. But I, I, I'd love you to love you to come back when when the new album is done uh, and, and we can break it down. Oh, yeah. I'd love that. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, So, so let's get started with this latest album, Heavenly Cream. Uh, am I overstating the significance of Cream uh, beyond pop culture, but in also designating that 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 it established a defining sound not only for a generation, but really kind of for an era, right? Yeah, I mean, I think it stood for real musicians being able to play their instruments yeah. to, in a highly skilled way, but still yeah. within a pop within a pop context so uh you know it's like transferring the jazz ethic but into something that's more universal perhaps mm -hmm. there's so many things about cream that mark their importance i think yeah and, and we're, we're gonna we're gonna do a a little bit of a deeper dive in into that and then and, and we'll, we'll get into some of the album as well i just had a conversation as i was telling you uh a, a moment ago with roger earl of Foghat, who began his career Savoy Brown, a band formed a year before Cream. But while Savoy Brown was, was also based in African-American blues, they didn't have anywhere near the influence your father's band did.
was different or unique about Cream that carried them to that sort of, I guess, exalted level or or legendary level or influential level? I think it's the tension between all of the elements within the music. So you yeah. have you have this kind of um, straight blues thing, yeah. and but it's bastardized by all these other elements like classical music and jazz. jazz and yeah. So so you know I hear elements in the music that are more than just a straight blues band. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what made made it special. You know, it had all of these different things going on. I mean, Ginger Baker with that kind of African drumming style that he developed, you know, mm -hmm. so all those things uh, roll it into being. That sort of, that sort of dark, darkly whimsical uh, jazz element that, that was so much uh, a part of your, your father's music, not only in cream, but in, in, in his, in his roots, in his solo work afterwards. Right. Yes, I think so. I think there was a, a style that my father had as a writer that goes through everything that he yeah. achieved. It's, you know, that's just uh, the nature of an artist. If, I think if you can find that within yourself as an artist, that's the best you can hope for, you know, to find your own voice. Yeah, indeed. Um, indeed. Because it's a language, so we tend, a lot of it tends to be more generic. It's structured in that way. But some when something comes along that has a unique voice, then tends to stand out so. yeah yeah this is the 15 track um tribute album uh as, as everyone's calling it if, if i can offer this it's become more of a legacy album hasn't it with with the passing of your father and and ginger baker back in uh 2019 i think but more recently with the passing just this year of uh pete brown and bernie marsden both of whom are on the album yeah, I mean, it has um, become a sort of document of a moment in time when we were all together. You know, I think that is a really interesting way of looking at it, especially from this vantage point. Yeah, I mean, I think also what makes this slightly different from a standard tribute record is that it has mm -hmm. Pete Brown and Ginger Baker actually on it. So it's kind of sort of part of their story as well uh -huh. and whatever. And then everybody else that's involved on the record just kind of makes sense the story and the history and everything that we kind of share in terms of the language so um yeah i don't know it's it's i like it for that from that point of view it's sort of a memory it's a memory in time for me <laughs> yeah yeah no it, it's it's a wonderful memory so we we mentioned pete brown there were really four members to to the band right if you include the the poet and lyricist uh pete brown Definitely, yeah. Pete was an integral part of it. Um, and there were others too. Uh, Felix yeah. Papillardi, who came in to produce um, through Atlantic. Um, and my mum wrote a couple of songs. And, you know, quite a, quite a big cast of characters that make it up. But yeah, essentially, I think it's Jack, Eric, Ginger and Pete. Yeah, 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 very much. Um, for, for people who don't know, um, Pete was uh, a musical beat poet. Yes, uh, he had this really interesting vehicle called Pete Brown and his battered ornaments, uh, which put out uh, at least at least one really oddly beautiful and interesting and frenetic album. You, you cut me so deep. 
Yes, I believe so. I think Ginger brought Pete in to write uh, for the band with him, and it didn't really work out. So I think Pete gravitated towards my dad, and they found something together. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, um... all down to Ginger. And actually, <laughs> Cream itself was kind of Ginger's idea as well. So really, yeah, I think so. And I, I want to get into the relationship between your dad and Ginger Bray Baker here uh, in a bit. But uh, Pete Brown appears on Politician on the uh, on the Heavenly Cream record. like the quintessential blues man your version ends very differently and, and I, I'm, I'm i'm thinking that this was all pete's improv but you'll let us know that than the original cream version and and i'd love to know how it was working with pete brown and that ending which he just <laughs> he just takes off on verbally yeah but, i mean i think i think that's pete's kind of you know uh nod to the beat poetry uh -huh. that he comes from, you know, just a kind of anarchic, anti-pop, anti-commercial statement or something. Uh -huh. um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I think that, from my point of view, politician, the lyric in that is so iconic. It's so um, transcendent, it yeah. seems to me, unfortunately, yeah. kind of yeah. every every age we relate to that. So um, I think it's, I, I prefer it just to keep it simple, but, mm -hmm. you know, whatever Pete wants to do, he can do so. <laughs> he added, at least in my opinion, uh, that critical critical aspect of abstraction, but he also seemed to catalyze your your dad's political and social conscience, right? Yes, I think there's a um, there's a mild, synergy. There's a that's mildly psychic or you know, synergistic <laughs> yeah. or intuitive thing that 
you know, um, builds up between writers. That can happen for sure. And I think they had that. I think Pete had that generally as a writer because I wrote quite a few songs with him myself. And I think if, you know, I could take him a title or I could take him a chorus and ask him to finish the song and um, uh-huh. he would do it. He would, he would get inside of it. So I think, you know, it's the mark of a great writer that they can get inside the narrative and yeah. inhabit that world, you know. Did you ever, did you ever, as a, as a kid, did you ever happen to catch, and I, and I, I know, you know, my, my dad's passed on and there are, there are conversations or memories that I wish I had paid more attention to as, as a child, but did you ever happen to catch any, any conversations between those two men? And, and if so, you know, what was the tone or the tenor or even the subject of a lot of those conversations? I don't know. I mean, I, I think generally it's a it's a relationship that's kind of not well understood. You know. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to get into other people's heads, really. Yeah, yeah, indeed, indeed. Cream also legitimized the art of musical improv, which your father really took to throughout his life from his from his jazz um, origins, right? I guess so, but I think it comes from a, just a primal force of creativity as well. So I think if you're cued into that, it's just natural to improvise. Writing music is a, a form of kind of solidifying improvisation, essentially. You know, the ideas have got to start somewhere. They, yeah, you know, yeah. Unless you're writing mathematical equations, which is also, you know, you can do Weber or whatever and get into a kind of more intellectual form of creation Uh but um i love that perspective you know i think from a songwriting point of view it's quite you have to allow for a certain kind of intuition yeah uh, and sort of body sense of things yeah Yeah. um all all, all artists is essentially that it's essentially improv until it's until it's not until you so you kind of pull that structure together right and then well and great improvisers can be composing pieces of music you know it doesn't you know fully formed pieces of music you know so so i think it's just as legitimate they they, it all goes hand in hand you know Mm -hmm. it's great to write a symphony where you know every single note it relates to every other note in a particular way that makes it kind of um, have a formal perfection or whatever. But then there's also just playing what you feel in each moment. So, and and I'd say the fusion of jazz and blues is is ideal in that regard, right? Yeah, but I think we're still we're still at our infancy in that regard. You know, we incredible strides being made, uh, but you know, we're still evolving. I think. Yeah, the notion that everything's been done is sort of uh, I don't I don't think anything has been done yet actually. <laughs> I, 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 I love that. Yeah. I love, yeah, that jazz sensibility um, I think was critical to to Cream's unique sound. Jack Bruce brought as as I said earlier a sort of dark whimsy um, through these clever and jaunty progressions to Eric Clapton's more solid or more. Uh, more stringent blues guitar, and w- which I think is is very evident uh, in his 1969 solo album or uh, songs for for a tailor, um, with songs like "Theme for an Imaginary Western," which you which you snuck in on this album as a cream song. 
Uh, but it's yes. really, it's really, really a solo song from your dad. Well, we, we sort of managed to sneak that one in because Cream actually did do a, make a demo of that song. Um, oh, interesting. Wow. But, but it was kind of rejected, and I'm not quite sure. I've heard some people say it was kind of rejected by the record label and Armour Ertigan Atlantic as being kind of too controversial or whatever. Maybe they didn't get it, or some, somewhere along the line it just wasn't didn't go forward until my dad's solo record a year later, so... So, uh, but it is kind of technically because they made a demo of it. We sort of thought, oh, we can get away with that. Well, there's a gray area there. <laughs> yeah. <exactly. laughs> there's, there's a loophole you managed to slip that one through. <laughs> exactly. We found a loophole. <laughs> um, so before this album, I was already very familiar with, with Cream, uh, the, the body work of, of especially your father uh, and Ginger Baker and, and obviously Eric Clapton. But I, I was really taken aback by the re-envisioning of songs on this album. Not just the quality, but but the 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 malleability uh, of the music to contemporary standards. Uh, were you at all surprised how relevant and resilient these songs remained after almost sixty years? Outside my window is a tree. Outside my window is a tree there only for me And it stands in the gray of the city No time for pity for the tree Well, I think you're right. I think we were lucky that the choices were made going into the studio. You know, uh, let's make an acoustic record, yeah. but let, let's bring in some arrange, arrangements for strings and horns and, and Abbas Dodu's amazing percussion. And so, you know, we just widened the palette in a way, but it but placed a limitation on, you know, we can't have a wah-wah, you know, rip-roaring Marshall stack type sound you know we're going to strip it down but we're going to still have orchestrated versions so i think i think yeah it sort of um tested the material and i think it's come out really good you know it's they're great songs as they are you know and because we didn't compete with the originals 
like many tribute records where they sort of do it the same way. Right. right. I think it just uh, gave us um, a sort of fresh look on it, on the whole a, thing. A really, really impressive testimony to to the, the quality and character of, of the original arrangements. Yeah. And I think, you know, and Rob Cass will have had a, a big part of this as a producer, but, you know, I think the, the vocal approach was done really well because it, again, it wasn't saying to somebody, can you sing this like Jack Bruce would have sung it, that it, it's asking people to have their own interpretation of the material. And I think that's, again, you know, it just allows for that freshness. Yeah. With becoming the, oh, well, that's predictable or whatever. So. Let me, let me ask you this. Um, I'm a complete music geek and, and I concentrate on, on the history of music. I just finished, a, I just finished a book called A History of Light for the Artist, uh, which, which talks about that, uh, that ascension of, of artistic expression from our earliest prehistoric uh, awakenings to, uh, to the Renaissance. Not everybody is, is that much of a geek as I am, but do you think that it's it's really possible to understand that pivotal era-defining sound that Cream innovated without knowing something of the mu musical origins or backgrounds of these men? No, I think it's, yeah, I think it's a natural progression. And that's, again, one of the really interesting things that, historical context when they when they appeared it's the you know the first generation after the second world war working class yeah. people becoming more upwardly mobile having yeah. a voice in the media having a, an ability to express to make money suddenly the whole system was kind of shifting uh -huh. uh, sort of hippie movement and all of that so there was a kind of small window of time i think where people were thinking differently uh -huh. i don't I'm sure i'm not sure it even really evolved from that point i think we kind of corporatized it or something you know let's put james dean on our t-shirts we can make a <laughs> fortune you know <laughs> i mean there, there's there's such a great history there from the war years and uh and the british government banning american jazz artists for a number of years and that led to that led to this sort of starvation for for this this musical expression it led to it led to skiffle which which gave us uh, which gave us eventually the Beatles and and the 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 musical uh, groups that your dad dad was in and. and... You asked me to a party to a house just by the moon. You gave me silver loving. The end was much too soon. In a place quite near the sun You gave me golden sunbeams Your act was all in fun Wrong ladder Wrong ladder There's a great documentary about your father that's online from 1969 I'm, I'm sure you know about it rope rope ladder to the moon oh uh, yeah well tony palmer I, who i know who's amazing who 
Yeah. Yes, he directed it. Yeah. Yeah. It's but really interesting. Great insight into into your father. He really muscled his way to play music, but never forgot his roots, right? And and he was always very reverent about his good fortune. Yeah, I think he was. I mean, he was a complicated character, you know. Uh-huh. Um, he could be quite full of himself at certain times, but he also had a, yeah, he had a, a humility um, that allowed him to continue to be creative. I think, you know, you have to maintain that somewhere within. But fame and success and all of those things, they do come with a certain kind of baggage that you have to kind of keep a check on. And I think also from that time, as we're saying, like working class kids coming from nothing, suddenly having that kind of exposure to whatever must it's very different for now we're all used to it you know yeah go on big brother or whatever it is you know it's like a whole different world it's not put our heads back then it was um it was revolutionary in that sense you know because you would have just worked down the factory or whatever yeah yeah and a lot of his friends did uh, he he was born in Glasgow, uh, Scotland, and in the documentary, he talks about being affected by these rundown apartments, and he said that he says hasn't hasn't changed much since they were first bombed in in the Second World War. Uh, they were crumbling and dangerous, and socially were were dead ends for so many people, and he never, yeah, yeah that, that deeply affected him. I mean that's it's yes i think it probably deeps deeply affects all of us you know i mean it's still ongoing isn't it whether it's yeah. like i don't know um you know parts of chicago or or parts of like the bronx or whatever i mean although you know there's gentrification all of those things but there's still yeah. the there's still the underbelly of the world you know yeah um yeah. you know it's there's it we're in and we live in interesting times you know it's uh to see where this is all heading in that regard, because we still have the slums and yeah, yeah. all of that stuff. So, yeah, but like like father, like son, uh, with with that um, that keen social awareness, Cream was really a band that might not have existed, right? We we talked about jazz. Uh, that's where your dad began. That's where he met Ginger Baker first in 1962 when your father auditioned with Blues Incorporated. And Ginger set the tone for their relationship by trying to sabotage your father. Did I did I get that right? Yes. they Yes, I think that's how the story goes. That my dad asked to sit in and they let him sit in and play 
put something in front of him that was super fast and super complex, lots of core yeah. changing. And he kind of just played it effortlessly and left. And then they spent a few weeks trying to track him down. Apparently that's how the story goes. So, yeah, I mean, I think Ginger was um, very influential at that time, you know, mm -hmm. in the sense of um, helping introduce my dad to, to the London music scene. Yeah, yeah. The two men went on to play together as part of the, the Graham Bond organization, where they literally came to blows on stage and refused to work together. On your record, uh, on your cover uh, of Crossroads, you actually had Ginger Baker along with Bernie Marston and Joe Bonamassa. Ginger actually uh, plays on, on a number of songs on, on the album. Baker and your father became quite close over the years, uh, despite all that that earlier history or the that that earlier friction, which I think might be the real story about Cream. How did that rapprochement be, between those two men happen? I'm not sure that anybody has the answer to that. I yeah. I just I kind of look at it as like two brothers, really. Yeah. You know, uh, they're so close and they understand each other so well. But then there's this kind of um, one upmanship or I, it's just so hard to describe because I saw my dad with Ginger at times when they were fine. And then I saw the opposite. So, yeah. Um, but I think that there was a great love between them, you know, and, and uh, a musical understanding. And that's really what oh, at the end of the day, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I spoke with Denny Lane uh, a while back, who credited Ginger Baker with helping to save Paul McCartney's band on the Run album after robbers stole the master tapes and down in Nigeria. Um, yeah. Ginger is often characterized as this rather acidic personality. You found a very different Ginger Baker when, when you worked together, didn't you? I saw both sides. He could be he could be like that. He could be gruff and rude, uh, depending on the situation, but he could also be really kind as well. Yeah. So I saw both sides. I think, um, I think that kind of gruffness is a force of habit more than anything. Yeah. Um, was there a catalyst or a context when, when he would, uh, when he would be that, that more terse uh, <laughs> side of his personality, you know, was, was it, was it something that, that, actually pushed him there was it a a, a patience issue or or a, or a simple annoyance what 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 was that? I, I don't really I don't really know whether I'm qualified to answer that fully okay. I okay. mean I think um 
yeah i mean maybe if he just something annoyed him he'd that's how he would react i don't know yeah but that wasn't the only thing that that's not the only story about ginger baker you know there's so much more to him what would people be surprised to know about ginger baker what were the conversations <laughs> that that you and he had maybe about your father or about music or oh not too much really we just you know i it was a bit more formal than that my my relationship with him but you know i had some good times i remember when i was a teenager i was working with his son kofi and he came okay. to visit us we were in san diego and uh, we toured with you who toured with you didn't he uh kofi yes yeah i've worked with kofi in the past yeah and yeah ginger spent a, an afternoon with us which was really fun you know he was that's back in the 90s um yeah i saw lots of sides to him you know i think yeah. people would be surprised to hear that he could be a really gregarious good person to be around you know mm -hmm. um he did have friends and relationships and friendships and all kinds of stuff going on. Indeed. But maybe it was just really private. I don't know. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think I, that I think that negative, I think that sort of abrupt abruptness and anger can sometimes just be a, a mechanism for being yeah. in the public eye or something yeah. like that. Yeah, sort of sort of protective shield or um... yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I I totally get that. One great interpretation on Heavenly Cream is Badge, which was written by Eric Clapton and George Harrison, who's credited, by the way, uh, as uh, Langelo Mysterio. Mysterio, so, yes. Yeah. I'm thinking about the time you drove in my car. I'm thinking that I might. sister of John Bonham adds these haunting vocals uh, to that to that rendition. How did that song come together with her? Yeah, well, we just uh, all got together in the room and rehearsed it and put the track down. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it was just that was our approach. We weren't overthinking these songs. You know, this is how the song goes. Yeah. Um, and then we would uh, set up, get a sound in the room um, and just kind of jam it out, you know, a few takes and we're done. And then maybe some fixes, a few overdubs, uh, maybe the lead vocal again, if necessary. So, yeah, What's... Deborah's, Deborah's amazing. You know, she's... Yeah, so she, she really is. Yes, I told you how the light goes on.
there anything about these songs that surprised you when you first, you, you sort of have to tear them apart to understand them, correct? I kind of know these songs well enough that they're just sort of there. Okay. Most, mostly with a little bit of revision or whatever, reminding myself, I, I kind of know the Cream songs, at least the really well-known ones. So yeah, so yeah it wasn't really a, a challenge for any of us, really. I mean, it's just music and it's, it's you know, simple songwriting music. I mean, that's not to belittle it by saying it's simple, you know, it's, um, but it's just easily done. It doesn't really take a lot of work to do it. And then it's just really about interpretation or catch the take that you're happy with or whatever. Fall under a bad sign I've been down since I begin to crawl If it weren't for bad luck I will have no luck at all Hard luck and trouble has been my only friend Since I was ten Born under a bad sign I've been down Since I began to crawl If it weren't for bad luck oh, I wouldn't have no luck at all Now listen oh, I can't read And never learn how to write Bad Company and Free alum Paul Rogers also appears on uh, on Born Under a Bad Born Under a Bad, uh, bad Side. I'm sorry, just just nails it. How was it working with uh, with Paul Rogers? You kind of pulled him out of retirement a little bit. <laughs> well, actually, we, he was the only uh, vocalist that we recorded remotely, so we weren't actually in the studio with Paul at the time. Okay. okay. Um, but we we put the track down at Abbey Road. And then he did the vocal. Yeah, I mean, Paul's amazing. You know, it's just yeah. fantastic. All the kind of trademark elements to his voice are there, you know. Uh, uh -huh. Such an iconic sound he makes, really. Yeah, so. indeed. Uh, at Joe Bonamassa as well. Joe's amazing, yeah. Has Eric Clapton, the third pillar of Cream, uh, has he heard the album and what does he think about, about it? And And was he, did you approach him to uh, to be part of uh, of this retrospective um i'm not sure if anyone sent it to him okay uh, i could send it to him actually it might be nice to do that um yeah i think he was approached but passed um but we made pete brown's um final solo record earlier this year which is called the shadow club and eric performs on the title oh. track for that record so that's actually coming out next year oh, wow. at some point i'm not sure when but um, so Eric's on that album, but yeah, maybe he just didn't want to do this particular one or cover himself or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> um, Malcolm Bruce, really nice work, man. Please oh, come back when the, when the new album comes out, will you? I would love to, and I'll be much more talkative then. I'll be out of my creative, uh, <laughs> cocoon or whatever it is. that you, You've got to be I'm getting, gonna... yeah. And you've got to be getting buried. And, and I know, I, I know I, I, I'm in the middle of, uh, of publishing, uh, a, a novel and writing the sequel to that that book oh, amazing and um it, you know with with every book it, it's you know with every every creative endeavor your your mind is sort of focused like a laser beam to keep you in that that world right 
yeah <laughs> well you yes if you're writing books you understand that kind of yeah external appearance of some sort of strange psychopathy or or OC, <laughs> ocd sort of state what's wrong with him he won't look me in the eye he won't talk to me <laughs> my, my wife always says that she's never afraid to leave me home because there's always lots of little characters running around inside my head um, <laughs> <laughs> the music that cream innovated set the stage for musical musical ideological and social revolutions of the, of the late 1960s Jack Bruce's son, Malcolm, has released a star-studded tribute to Cream's historic legacy, Heavenly Cream, an acoustic tribute to Cream. Uh, the website is malcolmbrucemusic.com. Sit right there, Malcolm, please, just for a moment while I take care of a little bit of business. Uh, I'd like to thank my guest, Malcolm Bruce, and for all of you who listened. And if you'd enjoyed this program, please click the subscribe button for notifications for future guests and episodes and updates on my upcoming time travel series, The Assassination of Baby Hitler, which we were just talking about, a romance for nerds coming out in April from Renegade Press. I'm your host, W.C. Turk. Malcolm, what a pleasure. It was it was so great to meet you. Oh, you too, and thanks, thanks for your um, support and interest in the record. It's much appreciated. Indeed, brother, and, uh, and we, we will talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, man. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. To catch your star and to feel it was too